0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is David, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And if you were following along in your flock notes for the prayer request, yes, that was my nine-year-old son who prayed that we would have a big snow this weekend. So for those of you who enjoyed the snow, you're welcome. For those of you who didn't, I'm sorry. And we're glad to have you joining us on live stream uh, this morning. If you're just joining us for the first time, we are doing a sermon series on the life of David. Last week, our senior pastor James talked about David's relationship with the current king Saul, part one. And then we contrasted that relationship with Saul's son Jonathan with David. And it was such a beautiful relationship that we're going to camp there today. So we're going to talk about that friendship between Jonathan and David. Then James will be back next week and we'll talk about Saul on the run or David on the run and then we'll pick up David and Saul part 2. My task today is chapters 18 through 20. Uh, We're not going to read all of that, and so I will guide you along as we read a few selected verses from those three chapters. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 241. If you have a phone, you can Google it. If you have your own Bible, you're on your own. It's in the Old Testament. We'll begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... And was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now flip the page. We're going to go to chapter 19. We're going to read two verses there, verses 4 and 5. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And then we'll read the last two verses in chapter 20, verses 41 and 42. I hear those pages turning. I'm waiting. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus is better. So make us believe that through hearing your voice this morning. Rule and overrule my words so that your people might hear your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Henry Cloud told the story of a stress test that was performed on a monkey, and they would measure the cortisone levels in the brain to determine the amount of stress. They put this monkey in a room, and then they exposed this monkey to all kinds of stress, They played loud music, they blasted the monkey with cold air, and they had flashing lights. You can imagine, his stress went off the charts. And they found, though, researchers found one interesting thing, that they could have all the same uh, stress-inducing causes, the same environment, but if they did one thing, they could bring his stress down to a normal level. Well, friends, that's what this story is about today. The one thing that we all need and very few of us have. Let's talk about the context for a moment. If you're just joining us, let me bring you up to speed in the life of David. In 1 Samuel 16, he was anointed by Samuel to be the next king. Remember, he was the last brother chosen. And then we had that famous story in 1 Samuel 17, where David kills Goliath, and he moves up the royal organization chart. He starts to ascend. He becomes very popular. And that's what we read last week in chapter 18. You may remember that as David's popularity grew, Saul's envy grew at the same time. You may remember that all the people throughout Israel and Judah, all the servants, all the soldiers, all the cheerleaders were singing David's praises. And the more that they did, the more it made Saul burn with envy. And because envy was killing Saul's soul, Saul sought to kill David. So you're up to speed now. Now, let me summarize chapters 18 through 20. Basically, that cycle repeats itself over and over and over. You know, wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. David does something really good. He's popular for it. Saul gets mad about it, and then he tries to kill him. That actually happens six times in chapters 18 through 20. Saul tries to pin David to a wall, not once, not twice, but three times with a spear. And then when that didn't work, he came up with this plot to send David out to fight against the Philistines, against overwhelming odds, expecting David to be killed. But instead, he's victorious again. And then when that doesn't work, he sends his goon squad, a crew of assassins, to David's house to try to kill him there. But David's wife helps him escape. He goes to Samuel's house, and then David sends more goon squads to Samuel's house to try to kill David, and that's unsuccessful as well. David continues to prevail. It's sort of kind of like that old cartoon where the roadrunner keeps escaping from Wild E. Coyote. This, if you can imagine, was a horrible time in the life of David. In other words, you could say he had difficult working conditions. He had a challenging boss. There was just a little bit of conflict with his in-laws. He had financial problems. His bank accounts were frozen, and he was living estranged from his wife. These were some of the hardest days That David ever experienced. No doubt his life was chaotic. And it's amazing. I want you to note what we read at the beginning of chapter 18 and at the end of chapter 20. You see, while David's life is a mess, there's one constant thing his name is Jonathan. You see, Eugene Peterson, who is a commentator and a pastor, points out the literary device that's contained in these few chapters. He says, the story in chapter 18 begins with his friendship with Jonathan. He goes through all this hardship, and then at the end, it concludes with the friendship of Jonathan. He points out that in the midst of all of this evil, friendship with Jonathan Bracketed and contained all the chaos. It's not exaggeration to say that David survived and thrived because of the friendship of Jonathan. You see, set against the envy of Saul is the esteem of Jonathan for David. Faithful, loyal friendship. It's a beautiful thing in this passage. Now, not many of us will have six attempts on our life. But I'm willing to bet that there's some chaos in your life. Maybe even just getting to church this morning was a little chaotic. But maybe there's even more serious chaos in your life. Illness, divorce, financial struggle... And eventually death. You see, though we may not have six attempts on our life, all of us have some level of chaos or will have chaos in our lives. And you will not survive or thrive without friendship. Without friendship. You are not going to make it without friendship. And you know what? That's not a sign of... Weakness. It's actually a sign of our humanity. You see, if you go back to Genesis and you look when the Lord created us, he says, Let us make man in our image. Do you catch the pronouns there? Us, our. It's referencing the Godhead. Only in Christianity do we have the Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Eternal friendship in the Godhead. And we were made in his image. And so we were made for relationship, for friendship. Not a sign of weakness, but a sign of being made in his image. And then if you keep reading Genesis and you get up to Genesis chapter 2, God basically makes all these things. He made this and it was good, He made that and it was awesome. And then, one thing is not good. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, it was not good that man was alone. Think about that. This is paradise before the fall, and paradise was not enough without friendship. Think about the implications of that. Friends, no matter the wealth that you achieve, No matter the power that you attain, if you get there and have no friends, you will feel a loss. Why? Because we're wired for relationship. We're wired for connection. I've been watching the Olympics like a lot of you have been watching that. And you can just imagine all these great moments in the life of these Olympic athletes. And I was uh, watching uh, one this past week where she didn't finish uh, in the top three, didn't earn a medal, but she still had an amazing performance and was celebrating. And then the commentator asked her about her dad who had died a year ago and just sadness immediately overwhelmed her. You see, even in the greatest moments or the hardest moments, it matters who is there. Friends, we were wired for friendship. We were made for connection because we were made in the image of God. And that's why these three chapters have become some of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible because this relationship between Jonathan and David is beautiful. Now, let me highlight very quickly five aspects of their friendship. Now, you could group these in a different way. You could come up with more. But I just want to point out five things that really struck me and were beautiful in this passage. The first thing that I want you to notice about their relationship is I want you to notice the sympathy that Jonathan had for David. Now, I'm not using that word sympathy in the term of of, you know compassion. We're talking about having pity, but I'm using it in the literal way of meaning common passion. It says their souls were knit together. Now when I read chapter 17, I was like, that's kind of quick. They they just met after David killed Goliath, and they're already having a bromance after one beer. How did that happen? Well, let me tell you something about Jonathan that may be a clue. If you go back to the story of Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14, you'd read about Jonathan killing a bunch of Philistines against insurmountable odds. You see, Jonathan was a warrior just like David was. David fought against Goliath. And Jonathan took out a whole garrison of Philistines with only his armor bare. He's like, yeah, game recognizing game. We're warriors right there. But it's more than that. If you go back and read their speeches leading up to their uh, battles, over and over, Jonathan and David kept referencing and saying that the battle was the Lord's. You see, their connection, their passion went much further than being warriors. It went to being believers. They both trusted in the Lord. That's why when they depart at the end of chapter 20, it says, The Lord is between us. Their common passion was the Lord, and they had an eternal bond. Jonathan showed sympathy For David. Second aspect to highlight is notice the accessibility of Jonathan. Jonathan made himself available to David. If you look in chapter 19, he continually uh, speaks wise counsel to David. If you look in chapter 20, when David needed a safe place to hide, Jonathan brought him into his house. Jonathan willingly gave one of D.C.'s most, you know, prized commodities time and attention to David. He was accessible to his friend. But third, he wasn't just accessible to David. He was also responsive to David. He took action. He took action When David's life was threatened, he went and he spoke to his father and he interceded on David's behalf. And then in chapter 20, when Saul wanted to kill David again, he shielded him and he protected him. He looked out for David's interest when he was around and even when he wasn't around. Jonathan guarded David's front and His back. Jonathan was responsive to David. Fourth aspect of their friendship to highlight is notice how genuine that Jonathan was with David. Or another way you could say it is notice the emotional honesty. Now, if that makes you nervous, we can use the word authenticity or genuine if you don't like that word, emotion. But notice. How honest they were, and also notice their physical affection for one another. In chapter 20, when David comes back to Jonathan, he says, Why is your dad trying to kill me? What have I done? Be honest with me, speak truth to me. I give you permission to look into my life and tell me if you see any sin in my life. Please be honest with me. But also notice the physical affection. When they departed, one of the last few times that David and Jonathan would see each other, they were weeping and they were crying. Now that's hard for some of us. We don't even like passing the peace, much less physical affection of hugging. Just be glad we don't make you greet one another with a holy kiss. If you're uncomfortable with that physical affection, C.S. Lewis says that probably says something more about our culture than it does their culture. Friends, this physical affection was beautiful. It's not a sign of weakness. These guys were warriors. They were telling nine-foot giants that we will cut off your head and feed it to the beast and the birds of the fields. These were menly men who hugged it out. And also, this was not sexual. Don't read modern presuppositions into the text, just notice their truthful, beautiful affection for one another. They were genuine and honest and allowed each other to see beneath the surface. Now, perhaps the fifth and most beautiful part of this friendship is Jonathan's commitment to David and later David's commitment to Jonathan, which we'll cover down the road. But notice in chapter 20 that Jonathan and David make a formal blood covenant. They are committed to one another. You see, covenant is sort of opposite to a consumer relationship. A covenant relationship is over here that says, regardless if you hold up your end of the deal, I'm in this thing. A consumer relationship says, if I get a better offer or a better deal, I'm out of here. And you see, Jonathan is saying, no matter what it costs me, I'm in this relationship. And James highlighted that last week. What did he give up? He gave up his power, symbolized by giving him his robe, his uh, sword, his bow. These were all signs of his kingship, his power, and he laid them down. It cost Jonathan a lot. It cost him his position. He was next in line to be king, but not only did it cost him his kingly relationship, it cost him his relationship with his father. Saul tried to kill Jonathan later. That's a covenant relationship. When Jonathan looks at David and says, come hell or high water, I'm in this thing. No man left behind. I'm here. Do you see that beautiful, committed, covenant relationship? It's beautiful, isn't it? I think if we're all honest, all of us desire a level of friendship like that. And all of us long to be a friend like Jonathan. But it's hard. It's really hard. We sin against one another and we're sinned against. And you know why? Because way back in Genesis, when sin entered the world, relationships started coming apart at the seams. You see, in Genesis 3, after sin entered the world, Adam and Eve started fighting and arguing. It wasn't but a few chapters later that Cain killed Abel. And now we come to this story in 1 Samuel where King Saul is trying to kill David. And not only David, but he's trying to kill his own son. Sin ruins relationships and our tendency is to drift towards isolation and fracture and friends we know when we live isolated from the groups who matter most bad things happen we were meant to be in relationship but it is hard so what do we do you know friendship is beautiful friendship is hard but is there any hope to having a friend Like Jonathan, there is. There's actually a better Jonathan that's offered to each one of us. You see, when you become a Christian, you get the best friend of all, the greater Jonathan. His name is Jesus. And you think about all those aspects that Jonathan displayed to David, and you can clearly see them in the life of Jesus Think about the sympathy that Jesus showed to us in Hebrews chapter 4, that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with all our weakness. We have King Jesus who makes himself available and accessible to us. Think about John chapter 1 and the word Jesus became flesh. And dwelt among us. Jesus walked among us. And think about his responsiveness to us. That Jesus, according to Philippians 2, willingly laid down his life. He was obedient to the point of death and death even on a cross. That's costly. The king died for you and for me. But fourth, Jesus was also genuine in the gospel of john jesus says i know my sheep and my sheep know my voice in the same way that the father knows me and i know the father i know you i know everything about you and fifth we see that jesus was committed that word covenant God relates to his people all throughout the Bible through this thing called a covenant where he pledges to be a God to you and to your children for all those who will place their faith in him. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You remember that in Matthew chapter 28 when he says, and behold, I am with you. How long? To the very end of the age. And remember in John 15, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, when he says that famous statement, greater love has no one than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. And I call you my friends. Think about what it costs Jesus. He's in the garden. He's there with his closest friends He's sweating blood, and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. And the father says, yeah, the cup can pass from you, but you're going to lose your friends. And Jesus says, come hell or high water, come death, come separation, I want my friends. That's sacrificial love. And friends, when you believe that, when that gets deep into your soul, that Jesus is a friend that Jesus is better. That will change your afternoon. That'll change your tomorrow. That will change your life. That will change your eternity. Friends, that's the summary. Jonathan's li- or David's life, his chaotic life was bracketed by the friendship of Jonathan. Friends, our life is chaotic at times. And we will not survive or thrive without the friendship of a Jonathan. We have one, Jesus. And when you are friended by the greater Jonathan, Jesus, you are able to be a Jonathan to others. Think about that in this context in DC. I would submit to you that one of our greatest poverty is friendship. Think about it we live in a transient culture, people connect and relocate all the time. You meet somebody you like, you go out for coffee, you start hanging out, and two years later they say, I'm moving back to Iowa. Oh, where are all of my friends going, right? And then it's like, what's the use? I hate having to say goodbye every two years for having to relocate for work or whatever. It's just hard sometimes living in a transient culture. But another reason why it's hard in D.C., Is because we only relate in order to really move up. Think about all the networking. We choose friends based on who can help us get a better job. And think about how focused we are on moving up in our career and our fields of interest in D.C. People, if we are only focused on that, you will get to the top, you might achieve what you want, but you will be lonely because you will have no friends. And into this context... God calls you. God calls MPC to live counterculturally, to present this beautiful image to an unbelieving world of friendship. Do you know how you fight against the gates of hell? Join a community group, live in the context where you can be a Jonathan to someone else that you can be committed, that you can be accessible, that you can be genuine, that someone uh, you can share joys and sorrows with. And friends, some of you just need Jonathans in your life. You need to join a community group. And all of us experience different blocks to vulnerability. And let me just encourage you, I know it can be challenging, but it's worth it. Let us walk with you through that story of friendship and you'll discover that life is better together. Now, you may remember that story I began with about the monkey that they put in that stressful environment. The flashing lights, the the cold air, the loud music raised his stress off the charts, and they found that only one thing, even with the rest of that chaos going on, could take his stress back down to a normal level. You know what it was? They put another monkey in the room. That's all it took. Just friendship of another monkey return stress levels to normal. Hundreds of studies like that. Friends, we have something better than a monkey. We have a greater Jonathan. We have Jesus, right? And I love the way that Jonathan and David part. Not everything is all better. The chaos is not gone. The danger still exists, but Jonathan and David look at each other and they say, go in peace, not because there's an absence of danger, but because there's the presence of friendship. Friends, the same is true for you and for me. There's not an absence of chaos, but we have a covenant friendship with Jesus that gives us peace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that in this story, David was alive because Jonathan was alive. And Father, it's the testimony of so many in this room that we are only alive because Jesus is alive. So Father, if we've never met him, help us to be introduced to him for the first time today. And Father, if our relationship with you is stale. Renew our friendship so that we would be reinvigorated. Father, help MPC to be a church of Jonathan's to one another and to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.